Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this beautiful day. Hello to everybody who's joining us online today. Sorry for the scratchy throat. No, no temperature or anything. I think it's just from the little snot-nosed grandkids I spent a week with <laughs> last week. Worth it, worth it. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray that same thing for everyone within the sound of my voice this morning. Let us put away our worries and our cares, Lord. Let us focus on you. Don't let us be interrupted by text messages or, or things that pop up on our electronic devices. Let us give this time wholly to you to listen to your word. And Father, on this 21st remembrance of what we refer to as 9-11, Lord, I, I ask that you help us all to pray for our country, to pray for our nation as we remember that that horrible day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about 9-11 later on this morning. I sincerely, though, wanted to thank you for your patience with everything that's gone on here since February. The spotty scheduling, vacations, work schedules, uh, availability of guest teachers. I've had a lot of you wondering, who in the world's going to be in the pulpit each Sunday? And we want to give a special thanks to Pastor Matt Ellison for stepping in and covering so many Sundays, and all the other pastors who stepped in to help too. Now, <clears throat> interestingly to me, by God's grace and what I see as his perfect timing, we hope to wrap up the series about the Sermon on the Mount this morning, just in time for our new pastor, Dave Schopp, to move into this spot on a regular basis next Sunday. And you know, when we started this, and I knew I was going to be filling in quite a bit, Dave Atkins suggested, well, why don't you do the Beatitudes? And I said, okay, yeah, I've read that a hundred times, but I never really studied it. And, and in going all the way through, it has touched my heart in amazing ways. It has taught me so much, and I pray that the same is true for, for all of you. Um, today, we're going to continue with the red letters, focusing on the things that Jesus said. And when we started this, way back in February or March, and again with all the crazy scheduling and, and even an unexpected long vacation for me that I, I didn't know about until the last minute, in God's perfect timing, I believe it works out that we should finish up today if we can get through uh, chapter 7, if I'll quit talking and start teaching. So um, here we go. We've been working our way through what was perhaps the most important public message Jesus ever spoke, commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. In an amazingly positive way, it has continued to echo and reverberate through the entire world, even with non-Christians, for over 2,000 years. A lot of scholars who have nothing to do with Christianity point to that as perhaps the most influential message on a better world, on a more positive society that has ever been given. And as I said, I've been amazed at the way the Lord has 
worked in my life as we've moved through, and, and I pray the Holy Spirit has touched you deeply, both through a better understanding of what Jesus said, but also what he meant and how he intended this message to be understood. Because honestly, it, it's been greatly misused in, in many, many cases through the church over the centuries. Things have, have gotten lost or, or twisted. And, and just a reminder that several times way back at the beginning, we pointed out a, a couple of key things. This is not just a collection of wise sayings like Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs. But there, boy, you go from verse to verse and chapter to chapter, and they're all over the place. They're all good, but they're not tied in. This is an integrated message from beginning to end. It's also not a new set of laws to make our road to salvation more difficult. Nothing could be further from the truth, but that's a lot uh, of the thinking that has gone on. Oh, that's nice and that's flowery, but it's impossible. No, it's not. And it's not at all impossible to live in the way that Jesus repeatedly describes and explains in this message. Everything, again, tied together from the very first word, to the last. And no point he makes along the way is designed to stand alone. It is truly integrated and it helps us to clearly understand his heart, the heart of our Savior, and the availability we have to live in the kingdom of God. Not just for eternity, which is going to be incredibly amazing on its own, but for right now, right here, this very day. Jesus makes it clear that the kingdom of God is among us, and it's readily available to all who are willing to listen, to learn, and to love, as Jesus does and wishes us to do. So we start picking up from where we left off last time in Matthew 7, 6, where Jesus said, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn around and attack you. Very important scripture that is often misunderstood and misused. Yes, we have to be careful that we don't waste the holy word of God on those who want to hurt his kingdom or profane his name. Especially today, we know many delight in opportunities to slander our wonderful Christian history and heritage. Others try their best to suck us into endless rounds of useless, endless arguments, and their true end game is simply to keep us tied up and angry with them so that we can't be an effective witness for Jesus with anyone else. And the truth is, there are many who will never be willing to even listen to his words, and we have to understand that. Yet, as Jesus reminded us, a few verses earlier, we are not called to be anyone's judge and jury. He did not withhold his biblical pearls of wisdom from those who were suffering or outside of society's norms, and neither can we. Think the woman at the well, the lepers, the tax collectors, and many, many others whose society shunned and hated and mistreated that he loved on and cared about. Because Shutting them out would totally fly in the face of what he said just the verse before in Matthew 7, 1 
through five. Think back to our message a few weeks ago when we focused on mental wellness and suicide. Jesus made it clear we're not to judge others and warned us that if we did, we would be judged in the same way. And this is especially important to remember when we're dealing with those who are hurting, misunderstood, lost, and alone, even when it may be through their own poor choices. Often it's not. Often it's things we have no clue about in their background or history. This scripture about pearls and pigs can apply to those who, for whatever reasons, are simply, honestly, unable to truly hear or understand God's word. It might be because they're in a state of mental or spiritual confusion, unclear on reality. Or they may just have hearts that have become too hard towards the church, so they blame Jesus. It's almost impossible for them to hear what we're trying to tell them. And we Christians, myself included, often the worst ambassadors for Jesus without ever realizing it. Our family, friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, all too often hear us talk of our faith one way and then watch us actually live it or act it out in another, just like the rest of the world or worse. And that makes them think they hate Jesus and have no need for him in their lives. So Jesus is not calling these people dogs or pigs or saying they're unworthy of God's word. He's simply explaining that we are unable to see, excuse me, they are unable to see the value of hope God offers at that time in their lives. And think of it as a pig who's not able to value the worth of a pearl or or to physically process a pearl It is eaten. These people are unable to understand or utilize the goodness of Scripture at that point in their life. And hitting them over the head with Scriptures is not always the most effective way to win them to the Lord. Yes, we must believe the Scriptures. We need to pray them, repeat them to ourselves. But this is not always a wise idea to spout them to those we are sharing with at least not right away. Whether it's a person who's thinking about suicide or a survivor who's grieving the loss of someone or something they loved deeply, they're not always able to process Scripture, especially if we're not very careful, extremely thoughtful, gentle, kind, and patient. In training to become chaplains, we learn that we earn the right to share Scripture. God's Word with the hurting often takes time in order for them to to trust us, to drop their shield, their wall. And I believe this is the general situation Jesus is speaking about in another scripture when he said that we must be as wise as serpents and as harmless as as doves. You ever think about what that means? I, I love Dallas Willard's description of it. He writes, notice you never see a snake chasing anything it wants to catch. It sits, it watches, it waits. And when the time is perfect, it acts quickly and decisively. And with a little care and practice, we can show them our pearls of biblical wisdom at a time and in a way they will be able to use. But it might not be, usually won't be, right away. And a dove 
is a beautiful example of being quiet and pleasant and peaceful and just going about our daily life guileless, harmless, and a blessing to others. I was one of those who did not want to hear any more about Jesus for many, many years, almost 20 years. Lord knew I needed it, but I would turn against any attempt to change me to sway my way. And then somehow, in some mysterious way, something changed inside of me. God's perfect timing. So we can't give up too easily or too soon. Don't be discouraged when they don't respond to your first few offerings of godly encouragement or wisdom. But don't think of them as pigs and I'm done with them and I, I won't ever speak to them again. When you feel it's okay to slip into conversation, be kind and encouraging, not judgmental. And, and don't feel it always has to be direct attack. Find something you think might relate to their heart, to their head, from another angle. A person who's an alcoholic probably won't respond in a positive way to scriptures about the dangers of drunkenness, okay? Perhaps something on wisdom, making right choices, or growing in spiritual strength is a better place for us to start with them. And this passage does not give us permission to ignore those who don't yet believe. It doesn't allow us to hate those of different faiths or belief systems. Nor does it tell us to not bother with those who seem to be helpless or, or beyond hope. Value what God has given you through his word and wisdom. Treat it with great care as you would a family heirloom of immense value to you. Keep your faith safe and protect it, but always have it available to show and to share with others at a moment's notice. Next verse, Matthew 7, 8. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks find. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Again, many make the mistake on this passage. Now, a lot think it's Jesus promising he's an imaginary genie appearing out of a lamp to proclaim, your wish is my command. Instead, he's teaching us that coming to truly know God as our Father takes some time and some effort. When we decide to seek out the Lord, it's important we're consistent and persistent in our efforts of prayer. Completely understanding his wisdom and guidance and all-encompassing love can take a lifetime. It's designed to. Half-hearted attempts to find God are common. Too many expect way too much, way too early, and give up way too easily. So don't hesitate to ask him again and again. But keep your eyes and your ears open. Many times he gives us the answers and solutions to our prayers, but we ignore them, often because it seems too difficult, even impossible. But again, we remind ourselves of something Jesus said elsewhere, with God, all things are possible. At other times, we miss his answers because they come in a form totally unexpected by us, in a different way, place, or person than we ever imagined. God is incredibly creative, and he's full of surprises, and he contains all wisdom, even when it seems outside the normal lines or rules of life. His answers are perfect, and we need to learn to recognize and accept them. And as we honestly and openly come to him again and again, 
Jesus helps us understand just what we should really be asking for in the first place. And our desires eventually come into line with his will for our lives. God grants us everything we need to live a life that pleases Jesus by serving others in his name. So never stop knocking on his door. Jesus is always waiting to open it up and invite us into his way of thinking. And this scripture ties in perfectly with the previous lines again. Again, I, I, I think it's important to, to mention it's an integrated message. We should never stop praying for those who reject the gospel or who seem interested but are unable to process it at the moment. Jesus wants us to keep knocking on his door about those people, to keep asking him to put someone or something in their path that will help them begin to see the brilliance of his light in their life. Maybe it won't be us. I find this especially true with family members. We try and we try and they turn us away and they reject us. But I always remind those who come to me brokenhearted about that, you're in good company. Jesus' brothers and sisters didn't believe in him either until he rose from the grave. And we have to remember that. I know from personal experience, as do many of you, this will work in God's perfect timing. Matthew 7, 9. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Yet we, as God's children, often act like little kids, don't we? And we often ask for things we don't need or shouldn't have something we really, really want. And it's about the same in our lives as a poisonous snake would be to a small child. Yes, God is good and kind and giving. And Scripture promises again and again that when we put our complete and total trust in Him, He will give us all we need. But as we said a moment ago, God is also wise and recognizes that which will hurt us or hold us back from his will. Matthew 7, 12, what we call the golden rule. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. We throw the word around a lot. I thought I'd look it up. The definition of essence is the basic, real, invariable nature of a thing or its significant individual feature or features. So in plain English, the essence is what is left when something is boiled down to the basic ingredient. Jesus was a genius at explaining the essence of complex issues and ideas, helping us to understand them in their simplest form. And here he makes it clear, the basic, invariable, significant feature of everything in the law and the prophets, the essence of all scripture is to teach us to treat others in the same way we want to be treated by them. You know, many other religions approach this from the negative standpoint. Don't do to others what you don't wish them to do to you. But Jesus does just the opposite, making it a, a positive statement. And if you think about it, it's much easier to choose not to hurt another person than it is to love them, right? Jesus made it clear we are to love others and to treat them with kindness and care 
and concern because we all want to be loved and treated in that same way. It takes time and determination and repetition, but practicing the golden rule releases the love of God inside us to go to work outside us. It gives us the spiritual ability to help others, even those who may hate us or want to hurt us, to turn enemies into friends. And never forget that over the centuries, countless millions of people who thought they hated Jesus have come to know him as Lord and Savior through his disciples and followers consistently practicing the golden rule towards them. This is something we have to think about and remind ourselves of every day as we head out the door. Wouldn't the world be completely different if only all of mankind could do this? How about just even the church? What about just you and me? Let's give it a try this week and see. Love, care, kindness, forgiveness for others are the essence of Jesus. So learning to become like Jesus, to walk in his ways, is the essence of Christianity. Matthew 7.13 says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. As Jesus is building towards the conclusion of his long and powerful message, the Sermon on the Mount, he makes this point, and it startles many, even to this day. There is only one way into God's kingdom. He describes following him into heaven as a narrow gate at the end of a difficult road. And even to right now, most of the world is repelled by that statement, preferring instead to travel the wide and easy path which Jesus says leads only to hell and damnation. It's as simple as that. It's common to hear statements like, well, there are many roads to God. Just choose the one you like best. Yet Jesus, whose scripture says is God himself, teaches that is not the truth. In this passage, Jesus is calling us to decide to follow him as Lord and Savior. And it's the most important call we'll ever take. The most critical choice of roads we will ever make. With literally hundreds of roads on humanity's map to heaven, Jesus says there are only two, the right one and the wrong one. In Matthew 7, 15, we read Jesus saying, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. The biggest and most rapidly growing danger to the body of the church today is not from the outside, but from the inside. False prophets, those who lie or distort the word of God. And most are very sly, changing only a few words, twisting the original meaning or leaving out, ignoring key passages. Most do it for personal gain, to make money or to become popular or powerful. Pleasing the public being in step with whatever is currently thought of as modern or woke or winning the approval of government rulers should never enter into the mind of a true teacher of Scripture. 
As believers, we have to always be on the lookout. We have the responsibility to hold every Bible teacher to the truth of God's word. Everything they preach should conform with what we see in the scriptures. And anything that is contrary to what the Bible says is a huge red flare and should be openly discussed in a peaceful way, a kind approach, questioning, asking, wanting to understand, but don't give in and don't give up. We are also to hold them accountable to actually live out the words they teach. Matthew 7.17 has Jesus saying, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Another very clear reference to hell. And verse 20 says, Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Again, we're not being their judge and jury, but we're called to make good, careful judgments. No one can live a perfect life. And mankind will disappoint you almost every single time once you realize he, she, is not perfect after all. Gosh, I was sure they were. It's just not going to happen. Yet teachers who consistently do their best to live life as described in Scripture will bear good fruit, positively affecting the lives of many others through their love and service to the church. <clears throat> False prophets have always been around and always will be at least until Jesus returns. And we know through Scripture, at even the very last moment, there's, there's going to be big, very powerful, very popular ones. It's our job to identify as soon as possible so we can keep them away from the weak, alert the flock, and protect all our brothers and sisters from these dangerous predators who care only for themselves. Next, Jesus describes true disciples in Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. To me, this passage is probably the most frightening in all of Scripture. And if it doesn't concern you, I don't think you're paying attention. Or, or maybe you deeply misunderstand the critical importance of what Jesus is warning us about. He clearly says that not everyone who thinks they are good with God actually is. This states that many who think they're in good standing will be turned away on Judgment Day. And I... I truly believe there are easily many millions today who profess to be Christians that he is speaking to, warning here. And that should bring us to a very healthy fear of God. Warren Wiersbe writes, the final test is not what we think of ourselves or what others may think. The final test is what will God say? How can we, we prepare for this judgment day? Only by doing God's will. Obedience to his will is the true test of faith in Christ. The test is not words saying, Lord, Lord, and then not obeying his commands. 
how easy it is to learn religious vocabulary and even memorize Bible verses and religious songs and yet not obey God's will. End quote. Yes, we are saved by faith alone, not by our good works, but following Jesus as Lord is about so much more than just saying a prayer and asking him to come into our lives. There are people who have completely misunderstood the message of the gospel or the way it was presented to them. Churches worldwide are filled with people overcome with emotion who raise their hand or walk forward at a church service and said a prayer asking Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, and they felt absolutely wonderful. But then they went out and never made any effort to get to know Jesus or to allow his Holy Spirit to work in their hearts. Many of them never even went back to church again or ever even cracked open a Bible. Most of them never even changed a single thing in their life. And that's the proof of the Holy Spirit is our transformation. Not that we're perfect, but that we're different than we were before we asked him to come in. They never saw or allowed the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to come in and do his work. But they're walking around today thinking they're just fine when they don't even know his word. And what a terrible, horrible shock it'll be on that day when they say, Lord, Lord. Again, salvation is a free gift from the Lord that we cannot earn. But it's a balance, what we call dynamic tension, that works pulling against the middle so we get it right. This is a free gift that comes with a lot of responsibility in our part. Think of somebody giving you a beautiful home absolutely free, but you never even walked inside it, let alone lived in it or maintained it or kept it up. Or a new car that you never drove. Anything that just sets, that is never used, exercised, or maintained, rots or rusts into ruin. And our faith in Jesus is the same way. We need to spend personal time with him each and every day. Jesus gives us something infinitely more valuable than a home or a car, and we dare not choose to ignore it, not even for a single hour of a day. We can't just be with God for the time we're here at church or during our Bible study. We need to ask him to be with us, to be present with us, moment by moment. And it's not just us knowing what he said, but doing it, living our lives in his ways. Several times in Scripture, Jesus said, if you love me, do what I say. So out of our love for God, we grow a strong desire to please him, which means we want to obey him. It becomes our deepest desire in life. And the keys are to learn his word, to love his word, and to live his word. Only through a close daily walk with Jesus can we possibly know his will his deepest desire and plan for our life. And when we submit our hearts and minds to him daily, actually moment by moment, we come to truly understand who Jesus is, what he wants from us, and what he wants for us. This keeps us from living a life of spiritual lawlessness that makes us unrecognizable to him, unacceptable as his followers as he just referred to in that scripture. Only through our obedience to his word does he authorize and recognize our good works in his name. The beautiful fruit he mentioned a few verses earlier and know us when we come to him. 
Now, of course, none of us can ever possibly be good enough to enter into his kingdom. Again, it's a free gift that only comes through his personal sacrifice because by his death, he already paid our price. And that brings us his overwhelming and undeserved grace, the limitless forgiveness we all so deeply need. So let's each pledge to examine our lives much more carefully. Eternity is much too precious to approach carelessly. Jesus, help us to know your word so we can obey in every way, each and every day. I I want to know your will in my life so I can be recognized by you on Judgment Day. I know I am forgiven for my sins, but don't let me sin carelessly or constantly. Don't allow me to cheapen your grace by my ongoing deliberate disobedience. Now, Jesus wraps up this amazing lesson about life in the kingdom of God by reminding us of the importance of building our life on a strong foundation. Most of us, many of us at least, knew this as as little kids, and we think of it as a cute little Sunday school story or, or song, but it's so much more important than that. In verse 24, he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. And then verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So simple, so basic, the essence of what we need to understand, building our lives on the solid foundation of Jesus. But he makes it clear here, that does not prevent the storms of life from hitting us and hitting us hard. Jesus said we will see troubles. Not we might. For most of us, there are going to be times when it seems like the storms never end, one after another after another. But those who base their lives on the solid rock of Jesus will not just survive, but we will thrive through the hurt and the heartache, through repeated loss, mistreatment, even persecution and death. Our foundation will not be washed away. But many of us have seen those we thought were solid Christian brothers and sisters collapsed the moment real trouble came along. They were either pretending or never intending on running into life's big disappointments, so they never prepared, never studied the Word, didn't really have a good relationship with the Lord. We need to continue reaching out to them and praying for them. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. If you remember back in the very first lesson, we pointed out that a lot of people thought Jesus was just talking to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. But at the very end, we find out that the crowds the poor, the needy, those who traveled great distances were with him there listening. And his message was intended for everyone. Well, we mentioned that today is the remembrance of what we call 9-11. 
I don't like to call it an anniversary because to me an anniversary is something that we celebrate. This day in history is something I hope we never forget. I hope we've all got past the anger and the hate that we so naturally felt that day. As we saw the billowing black smoke, the buildings collapsing, the thousands who died. And we can't ever forget about the thousands who perished afterwards in the wars that ensued because of those horrendous acts. So I encourage us all to pray for our nation, to pray for our world, and to remember that a time much worse than that is coming. It's very clear in Scripture. I believe it's very near, and I don't say that to frighten anybody, but to remind us to prepare our hearts and our minds. Jesus spoke of it as a terrible time, a horrible thing. But we know he wins in the end. And and I look at this, I try to look at it in a balanced way to truly enjoy each day, to treasure what God gives you in the people that he places in your path. They may not be here tomorrow. Today may be the last time you ever have the opportunity to tell them you love them, that they're special, that they mean something big and important to you. As a pastor, I've seen this so many times. We wake up in the morning thinking just like all those thousands of people did on 9-11 that today's another day. We might have left the house mad at our spouse or upset with our boss or angry that we had to wait an extra two minutes because the idiot in front of us didn't make the yellow light. And life is so much more important than that. And I urge all of us to find the joy, even when it's not always noticeable on the surface. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give us our heart's desires. As our new pastor moves in next week, I encourage all of you to to not just pray for him, but but, but, but to give him your hearts and your minds and, and to give him the time and attention he's going to need. Every good Bible message should include at least four basic things, I believe. Revelation, God opening your eyes to something or reminding you of something that you hadn't seen before. Contemplation, us thinking about it. What does this mean? How do I apply this in my life? How can this scripture, this word from God, change the way I think or act? Motivation. We've got to get out and do it. Learning his word is wonderful. We're to hide it in our heart, but if it never goes from there, it's not going to work its purpose that God has designed in our lives. We've got to get out and use it. So that leads us into activation. Actively sharing his word, living the life that he is designed for us. And as we pray for Pastor Dave Deshop, I remind you to please continue to pray for Pastor Dave Rao. As he goes through his pain, his progress, I've stayed in pretty close touch with Dave. We're close brothers, and I pray we always will be. What he's gone through, his losses, his children's losses, something most of us can ever imagine. And uh, I'm very... I'm very pleased with what he's, what he's trying to do with his life, but, but please don't, don't forget him. And uh, I wanted to share something. You know, when Dave left, he um, gifted to the church his huge collection of books, scholarly books, a, a library, a full wall, shelf after shelf. 
that he said, you know, um, the church can just have these. But the one thing I want that, that, I, that I left behind by accident is my special Bible. He said, you know, I probably have a dozen Bibles, but I have one that's very special that I left behind, and I, I don't know where it is. It's autographed by many of the famous pastors who, who came to preach during the years when I was at Calvary and here at New Covenant, and, and it holds a lot of meaning to me. We looked and we looked and we looked and we tore this place apart, and it wasn't to be found. And we looked in the lost and found, and I, I said, Dave, somebody must have taken it by accident, thinking it was theirs, and they've got it at home, and we'll find it, we'll find it. Well, today I was looking around for the pulpit, nowhere to be found, and I found a pulpit I hadn't seen in ages, and on it was Dave's Black Bible. And I can't wait to take this to him and to share this with him and to tell him that we're all continuing to pray for him like we're going to do right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for your perfect timing, for who you are and how you are, even when it's difficult, when it's scary, even when it's frightening, even when it seems impossible, Lord. Help us to be strong, to lean on you, to long for you, to give our hearts and our minds and our soul and every bit of strength that we have and the strength that we don't think we have into the effort of being servants in your kingdom. Father, we pray for Pastor Dave Rao as he goes through this very difficult transition in his life, and we pray for his, for his adult children. Lord, they've been such good friends, and we care deeply for them. And Father, we pray for, for our new Pastor Dave and his family, his wife and his children. Lord, we just pray that you would continue to bless us. You've been so amazing through this very difficult time. You know, Lord, it's been since February. And now we're, we're heading into deep parts of September. But you've kept us strong. You've kept us faithful. You kept our numbers good as far as attendance and finances. But that's just a small part of who we are as your church, as your children. Most importantly, you've kept us strong. You've kept us leaning on you, loving you, and serving you. And we pray that will continue in the days to come. We look forward to all that you've done and all that you promise you still have to do using each of us as your servants. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's all stand up and worship. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.